everyone. Welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Gabriela Ariana Campoverde, but you can call me Gabby. Our guest today is Herschel Sanghi, founder and global head of Amex Ventures. Herschel has over 30 years of operating experience and for the past 10 years has led the venture arm of American Express and oversees global investment activity across the company. He has led investments in Opera, Better.com, Build.com, Boom Supersonic, Boxed, Instacart, LearnVest, Falcon X, Phoenix, Next Insurance, Philanthropy, Plaid, Retail Next, Stripe, Toast, and Toro, among others. And yes, I was not exaggerating, that was a mouthful. But it's why Amex Ventures now has a portfolio valued at over $1 billion. In this episode, you will hear about the birth of Amex Ventures, a reflection on 10 years of investing, what differentiates them from other corporate VCs, investment-worthy trends in the payment space, and Herschel's career. Now, let's get started. It's so great to have you on the show today, Herschel. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show, Gabby. This is a real honor to be on the Warden FinTech podcast. Oh, thank you. We know that you have such a busy schedule, so we greatly appreciate your time. Um, And I know today's episode is a bit of a special edition because we're reflecting on 10 years of investing. So congratulations. As you mentioned before, Amex Ventures has invested in over 70 startups focused largely on commerce, payments, fraud prevention, data analytics, and security. And this has been since 2011, and you've been there since the beginning of it all. So can you introduce Amex Ventures to our listeners? Absolutely. It's definitely a a special year and a special moment. And I think uh, actually we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this month when we made our first announcement about Amex Ventures. So Amex Ventures is the corporate innovation arm of American Express. We formed it to drive innovation for American Express. That is our mission. And the way in which we do it is by investing early stage uh, startups and then driving partnerships to add value to them. And what is your investment approach? What types of DCs currently have and what's it this year? Sure. We'll talk about that a little bit. Maybe I'll take it in two parts. So the thesis areas always evolve, right? When you when I look back at, at 2011, we were really focused around commerce and next-gen commerce experiences. I mean, that's continuously evolving. But, but back then, you know, we had sort of uh, mobile, we had e-commerce, and we were starting to get into multi-channel commerce. And when I look at the early investments that we made in companies at that point in time, you know, we made investments in companies like Stripe, Instacart, Plaid, Bill.com, and the like, big commerce, and many more, all of these have now gone on to become, you know, foundational to what is now being called fintech and, and is massive, as we all know, right? And so when I, when I look at it over the years, we've, we've certainly morphed and expanded our investment areas from consumer commerce to now all things B2B, B2B payments, the entire fintech stack, and certainly a lot of enterprise capabilities, which include, you know, big data, AI, uh, security, fraud detection, and like we can go into more detail uh, if you like. Yeah, I would love that. You know, you mentioned a few pillars that we had: consumer commerce, B two B technology, and you know, security. In the end of the day, like, can you talk a bit more about those three specific pillars and 
Yeah. What were some points that you'd like to share with us? Sure thing. Happy to do that. I think when you look at um, you know consumer, when you think about you know our business, we have obviously a lot that we offer in terms of payments and and our card products, but also we are uh, have a broad offering in travel and lifestyle, right? So that's you know certainly a broad encompassing area. We're looking to basically strengthen the connection with our card members, and so certainly next gen e commerce experiences, identity, consumer payments. We're, we just invested in a company that's uh, doing sort of uh, driving shoppable video and you know that's the next generation e-commerce experience and certainly financial wellness and even um, overall wellness tools and travel. So when you look at consumer, those, those are sort of the big areas that we've invested in. In terms of B2B, when you look at B2B, you know, we have a wide swath of business customers, enterprise mid-size and small SMBs, uh, you know, those are sort of big segments for us. And there we're really looking for solutions that empower our customers to grow and better manage their operations. And so we've done a lot in, you know, payments automation, all of the sort of related workflows that businesses have to better manage their businesses. And then certainly in the last few years, when you think about, you know, embedded finance platforms, that's another big area for us. And then lastly, merchant enablement solutions. We have a large segment, uh, obviously millions of merchants that accept our card. And so how do we help them, you know, make their businesses more effective and more efficient and add more value to their customers? So we spend a lot of time on that segment. And then certainly the, the last category I would say is enterprise technologies and enterprise capabilities. And when I, what I mean by that is, you know, all of the plumbing that goes in the financial and payment stack. And of course, the network, right? So when you look at that, it includes servicing, customer acquisition, engagement, uh, cybersecurity, fraud detection, risk management, AI platforms. So it's a, it's a fairly broad area and encompasses quite a bit. Very exciting indeed. And, and especially when I see what's going on these days. Yeah, that's fantastic. You mentioned this in largely when you were talking about the consumer commerce experience. How do the insights from different Amex business units inform your investment approach? And how do you function with those other business units? Yeah, that's a great question, Gary. So we work really closely with our business units. I'd say we have like a a top-down and a bottom-up approach. So we spend a lot of time with our business units, understand what are their three to five-year strategies, where are they going, where are they headed? You know, which is obviously a culmination of everything they're seeing in the market and what they're hearing from their customers in turn. And then on the other hand, we're, you know, constantly scanning the venture ecosystem and seeing, you know, what companies are being invested in, where the money is flowing, what, what startups are, are innovating around, what areas they're disrupting. And really, when I look at it, it's an idea marketplace that we're operating when I think about it, right? With the startups on the one hand and our business units on the other and we're constantly trying to see, you know, what companies have the potential to drive a partnership with our business units over a period of time. And then that's kind of how we look at to, to make investments where we obviously bring these companies in a very well-defined process in front of our business units to engage with them both before, during, and after we make an investment. And then really what we spend a lot of our time on is to drive that value addition to our portfolio companies 
through the benefit of a partnership with American Express and bringing all of the assets of Amex to bear for the benefit of the portfolio. Obviously, Amex has a mutual benefit in getting early access to that innovation and, of course, in turn, bringing that, that value add to our customers. Do you mind walking us through an example in which Amex was able to have first dibs on the innovation that comes from these startups? Yeah, sure. Um, I can certainly speak to that. Um, I'll take one example, though there are, are many. One that comes to mind uh, more recent is, you know, we invest in a company called Better Mortgage. They are basically disrupting, um, you know, the mortgage uh, origination, manufacturing, and the entire mortgage space in a complete digital incarnation. And uh, when you see what uh, Vishal has done over there, so we don't have a mortgage business per se, but certainly, you know, when you look at our customers and our consumers, they are big buyers of that and consumers of mortgages. And I think uh, it's, it's a pretty high share of mortgages in the country that, you know, if you incorporate all of our card members and, and what they have. And so we wanted to provide a differentiated way in which for them to interact for mortgage origination as well as refinancing. And what Better Mortgage has is a very digital first approach. And so we brought that, you know, first in a pilot and then in a broader commercial relationship to our customers, and it resonated instantly. You know, so now we we have a program in place where our customers have access to that. It's a very, you know, sort of, I would call it almost like a white glove, uh, concierge type approach that uh, is provided to our customers. And that's been great for better. It's been great for us and our customers. And, and that's a great example of the value add that we went. We have this, we've done the same thing in B2B as well. And you know, there's, there's countless examples of that. I think the statistic I'll give that there is over two-thirds of our portfolio has an active relationship with our business. Great. And is that something that makes AMX Ventures unique as a corporate BCA? You know, we have the traditional funds also speak with us, but how are you guys different from the city and like the Goldman funds? And what are you specifically known for in the corporate VC world? So I'd say first, like split it into two parts. When you think about pure venture capital versus corporate venture capital, I think we're certainly focused on adding value to the portfolio company and of course, to our business units through the realization of a partnership. So our work and our differentiating factor is the value add that we bring. I mean, in today's world, it's very competitive in the venture industry, as you know. And I think you have to have that differentiation, which you know we've clearly just shown. We just don't talk about it. We have enough proof points of that differentiation. And that's resonated with entrepreneurs, which has resulted in, in us having a good portfolio and great deal flow. When you think about competing with other corporates, I think what differentiates us is certainly what differentiates Amex, right? Where, you know, we are unique in the sense that, you know, we have an end-to-end platform and a closed loop network. So, you know, we have an issuing platform, we have the network, payments network, and then we also have our merchant acquiring business. And then we also serve both consumers and businesses. So when you look at all of that, we are able to, you know, partner with a, with a startup, bring that innovation, and plug it into our business and, and affect that in a much shorter time frame than I believe some of our competitors will, right? Uh, just because we have all of that within our control in our ecosystem. That's a great insight. 
I wanted to pivot the conversation a bit more to the past year. Amex Ventures accelerated the number of companies that you know you invested in. What changed over the past couple of years? Yeah, it's. Uh, I think uh, it's been great to see. I think two things happened. One, definitely, listen, the, the, let's just go back to the beginning of 2020 when the pandemic hit, right? Very unfortunate, very sudden, and obviously a, a major catastrophe, you know, on a, on a global scale. I think what, you know, the first effect of that obviously was the health effect, but certainly right after, there was a massive economic effect that kicked in. I think a lot of folks in the venture industry specifically were unsure about what the economic environment would look like. And a lot of folks hit pause, right, given, given the uncertainty. I think for us, we've had a playbook, you know, that we prepare ahead of time for any sort of major economic event. And we were able to basically pull that playbook out, which allowed us to continue to invest and that, you know, so we didn't sort of hit pause in that sense, right? We, we already had that accepted playbook. It was, you know, brought in from all the way from the board on down. And that was, a, was, was huge, I think, for entrepreneurs. So they were already in, in a number of conversations with startups and entrepreneurs, even to the months leading up to that. And they all called us up and said, hey, listen, you know what? We're not certain of the environment, but I think this would be a good time. And we said, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, that accelerated our pace. And I think, you know, that got attention. Right. And I think other entrepreneurs looked at it and said, hey, you know, these guys are not sitting still and they're they're continuing to invest. And then that just has had a follow on effect. And of course, now, you know, when I look at the last sort of 12 months, the overall pace of the industry has accelerated. There's a whole lot more supply and every downturn brings that. And we saw that in 2008, 2009. And I think we're seeing that again and, and we're able to take advantage of it. So that's really exciting as well. Have there been any companies in your portfolio that during the pandemic, you're paying closer attention to any highlights of their performance? I think all of them. <laughs> I, that was the first thing we did well, when it hit was you always want to look at, at the health of your, your portfolio, right? I mean, these are your, your babies, your family, you know, you're, you're already in. So, so that's kind of like first where your attention goes to. So I think we looked at every company in our portfolio. We called every one of our CEOs, looked at what's required, what is needed, and made sure that they had adequate support. So we did a lot of follow-on investing in that period to make sure that they were supported. I don't think I'd call any one out more than the other, but I think all of them have made it through and not just made it through. They've all actually accelerated their growth. And so that, that's been good and, and fortuitous for us. And you know, we appreciate the support of the entrepreneurs. And I'll call out one company that actually got the benefit of the pandemic, which should is kind of perverse and probably not a good thing, but but it has happened. You know, one of our companies is Boxed, which is e-commerce wholesale platform. And certainly, as you know, in lockdown, people weren't going to stores and, and a lot of the brick and mortar stores, you know, were you know didn't have supply and were unavailable. And so that was perfect timing when I look at Boxed and what they were able to do and provide you know, much needed essential supplies to both businesses and consumers across the country. And they rose to that occasion and saw their um, overall volumes increase. And that's been great for them. And you know, they've been able to now retain that loyalty of that customer base all the way even, um, even now. I think another great example is obviously the acceleration of e-commerce and companies like you know, Instacart. Uh, Toast is another company that you know, serves the restaurant industry that got, you know, had the wind behind. And, and certainly, 
big commerce and the platform there, which just accelerated more e-commerce, right? So, and of course, Stripe, you know, which underlies all of that from a payments mechanism, <laughs> benefited from a lot of our portfolio, you know, was all there waiting for when there would be business and customer adoption. And uh, when that moment arrived. It's funny that you mentioned Toast because they're actually the star of a project that I have for my finance of innovation and venture capital class. <laughs> so well, well, we do their S1 pretending that they didn't go public and that we're valuing them. So <laughs> yes, also, be a good really, one. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting to learn about all their new features that they pushed out uh, over the past year. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, all of the, everything that they did, which was, you know, the contact list that was all that new, right? We've never been in that environment. And then, you know, also sort of the restaurants that, you know, were known for, you know, their sit down and their experience had to quickly pivot to takeout and how they did that. And these guys, you know, came to the, you know, really helped a lot. We were able to leverage them and their channel and, and their reach with the restaurants and, and also help, help the restaurant community with, the, with a lot of pieces that we provide, a lot of value add that we had over there. So it was a really good win-win where we were obviously also able to expose these restaurants and what they do to our customers. And I guess for context for our listeners, there were like a few features like delivery services and also helping out with like those logistics that Toast was able to push out during the pandemic. So, you know, folks at restaurants that had to close down and go into lockdown mode were still able to at least make their revenue off of takeout and delivery. So that was really great. I was curious if you can share a bit more about your most recent investments and what were some interesting themes that throughout 2021 and going into 2022, you think that your like Amex Ventures is going to invest even further in? Yeah, I'll take that again and it's got a two parts. So I'll talk about the recent and then we'll go about (laughs) the future there. So when I look at the recent, I'll actually talk about two companies. I'll talk about one that's right in your backyard there in Philadelphia. It's a company called Philanthropy with an I at the end that we invested in last year. Very exciting company. What they're really doing is democratizing philanthropy via the creation of donor-advised funds. So when you think about donor-advised funds, which are typically been for sort of a certain segment, sort of big donors, and has been available through Fidelity and others for, for a long time, and it's a tax advantaged vehicle, but it's not been available to everybody. I mean, it has, but it's very cumbersome and most people don't think about it, right? So what they've done is democratize that and made it very easy where you can actually do even sort of roundup or, or very small denomination where you can contribute to that and set it up in a very easy way. The second thing that they've done is when you look at the statistics, right? Over 69% of charitable donations in the U.S. come from individuals. That's contrary to what you may think where it comes from institutions, right? It's actually the, the inverse of that. And when you think about charities, they spend most of their time and money, I mean, sort of their cost of goods, so to speak, is in the acquisition of the donations. And, and that's a lot of effort, whereas what they really want to do and what they should be doing is spending their time and effort on the charitable purpose, you know, that they're created for, right? So now that you have the pool of individuals, right, through philanthropy, they now provide easy access to charities to this pool of money for folks to then donate to. So it's solving, 
you know, both sides of that equation, a marketplace almost, so to speak. And we're very, very excited about that. About that. And I think, um, stay tuned. I think we have exciting announcements and more to come uh, in 2022 with them as we go forward. What's in store for, for next year? Well, there's a lot <laughs> that's going on. I'd say let's sort of look at it as a continuation of the last 10 years and, you know, the fintech and sort of the, the theme that that's, we've, we're already on. So software, you know, has certainly accelerated and atomized, you know, different pieces of the fintech, of the finance, banking, payment stack. And a lot of our companies are foundational to that. When you think about, you know, Stripe, Bad, and others, right? They, they formed the foundation of that and the bedrock, so to speak. I think that software is now going to continue to accelerate that in the industry and provide new value-added services for consumers. And I think the big theme that there is that it's going to drive, it's going to help equalize inequalities across the globe. And I think it will be the big equalizer. I think what you're seeing with crypto, DeFi, and Web3 is actually that. I mean, it is software on a distributed, you know, hardware network, right, with value exchange that's taking place. And so that's really where I see, you know, where every transaction, anything that uh, sort of every value exchange can now be tokenized and monetized. So I think that that is a, a massive theme um, and, and we're really, you know, spending a lot of our time and effort looking at that. And, and I personally am as well. Great. And what do you think needs to be built? You mentioned quite a number of things that you are interested in seeing. You've already invested yep. in more here. So what is missing out there that you think startups should be working on? You know, I think, you know, when I, when I meet entrepreneurs, when I see things, there's obviously a lot that's being done. But, you know, when I just look even on my personal life and, uh, you know, the last few days I've been spending time, you know, and, and looking at some insurance needs and, and requirements over there, there are still so many unmet needs. And I think what you're seeing is this whole sort of trend of micro-segmentation, right? I'm a pet owner, and as a pet owner, I think I have certain needs. And now that's a segment, and it's not everybody. And so there is a market for that, and I think you can create differentiated products. I think if you look at, you know, sort of the... 2000 to 2010, and you see what happened in the mobile space, broadly speaking. And, um, you know, now we say there's an app for everything, right? <laughs> and then you go on your phone and you find one. I think the same thing is now going to hold true in the financial system space where there's going to be an app for everything, right? And an app for everyone. And I think that we are just beginning to tap into that, Gabby. I do think that, you know, when I go to India and, and I spend time over there and I look at the the different folks and the needs over there. There's just so much potential. There's already a lot that's been done, which is really exciting. Uh, but there's just so much more that I, I see coming up and I see folks working on it. And, and that's really what's most exciting. And I think that is going to drive, again, the big theme of equalization, or sort of the big, you know, reduce inequalities across the globe. I really like the theme that you hit on of like something for everyone. I don't know if I could take on more mobile apps on my phone because you can just, I have, I probably have at least 12 yes. pages worth of them. So hopefully there's not like one of everything, <laughs> but I do like something for everyone. Amex, of yeah. course, like you mentioned, you have the closed loop and big players in the payment space as well. Is there something that, you know, as you mentioned from 
your trips abroad or like looking at emerging markets, you wish some of that could transfer over to the US and potential investment opportunities that you see in the payment space? Yeah, I do actually think so. I mean, when I look at it, I mean, India is a good example when you think about it and what the government has done over there. They've actually banked, you know, the majority of the population, right? And so it's not an underbanked challenge that they have anymore. Everybody is actually banked and everybody has a mobile wallet. In fact, when I was just there a couple of months ago, you know, not living there permanently, I didn't have a mobile wallet and I was disadvantaged. You know, you really couldn't pay for anything if you don't have a mobile wallet there. I mean, it has changed that drastically. And it wasn't, you know, more than a few years ago where if you didn't carry a wad of cash, you couldn't do anything. So it's completely become, you know, the opposite there. And I think when I look at uh, digital currencies and, and that sort of digitization of financial systems, I think I see that trend continue. And, you know, my prediction is that developing countries will be early adopters of that. Um, I think governments in these countries will adopt, you know, CBDCs. And I think because they don't have a legacy financial infrastructure, you know, they're just going to leapfrog like they did mobile and go to sort of the next generation. And again, I think they will potentially, the infrastructure will even overtake, you know, that in, in developed countries. And I mean, an example of that is when you look at, you know, the price of mobile data in developing countries, it's far cheaper than what we pay in the US, for example, right? I think that's the same sort of trend will, will hold in, in financial systems going forward. And that's really, really exciting because, again, I think for me personally, you know, the big theme of driving, having sort of economic equality, I think is very important. And that just uplifts everybody, everybody's sort of level of uh, quality of life. And that just helps the whole world. It's really interesting that you mentioned the ability to pay for mobile data. Because nowadays, you, especially during the pandemic, hearing of stories of like middle America or certain like rural suburban areas that that infrastructure isn't 100% there in the U.S. alone. So the possibilities that could be unlocked once we get there, um, something that I'm also very much looking forward to. I wanted to pivot more towards your career. You know, you've been at Amex Ventures throughout its time there. I was curious if you can talk a bit more about the culture that you were able to form with the smaller team that you started out with and, you know, what it's looking like nowadays. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's been a great journey. I mean, I look at it and I looked at it when I came on board. I really looked at it as a startup, right, within a large enterprise because that's what it was. You know, I was given an, a, a clean slate and a mission. Um, you know, it was at that point, Ken Chinoldo was the CEO and, and Dan Schulman was my boss. And, um, you know, they said, hey, listen, we, need, we can see the innovation that's starting to happen in financial systems. We believe a lot of that innovation is going to start from the venture ecosystem. And so we need to tap into it. We need to find a way to do that. And we'll believe, you know, they believed in me to go and get that initiative going. Frankly, what I think we've had the, the major impact, and of course, we've grown our team size. We started with three folks and, and now we have a, a big team. By the way, uh, I'll make a small plug. We are uh, hiring. So, you know, folks in college there and your colleagues would love to, and your classmates, please uh, make a pitch for them uh, to apply uh, to us. But in all seriousness, the bigger impact, I think, has been on the culture of American Express that I think we've made as a very small team. I think we've made an outsized impact there where, you know, I think we've certainly accelerated 
that an entrenched now a culture of innovation across the company. Um, it's now, I think, one of the most entrepreneurial companies and the most innovative, in my opinion. Uh, of course, I'm biased. But when I look at and I speak with you know the leaders and my colleagues across the company, they're iterating on some new product, some new service, some new capability. And you know, Amex Ventures is certainly one of the first calls that they make, and and we have great dialogue. So I don't have to prove to them that you know working and partnering with a startup is a good thing. It's more a question of which startup should we partner for to solve this problem, which is a massive mind shift that's been made. And and I think that's really what I'm most excited about. That's awesome. And do you mind talking about your earlier, the earlier portions of your career and what got you interested in investing to begin with? Sure. Yeah, I've been, you know, sort of, I'd say, you know, more than 30 years in technology. My early career was in Silicon Valley, in semiconductor, in Silicon, which is what Silicon Valley is named after. So kind of interesting. And I've done, you know, many different industries. And the common theme, you know, when you sort of look back and connect the dots, you know, when I look back and do that, is that for every single, you know, job from my very first one to, you know, what I'm doing today, constant theme has been innovation. And what that has been is, you know, taking sort of a nebulous early instantiation of ideas and then, you know, developing them into businesses and full-fledged businesses. I've done that individually, you know, I did them, you know, and, uh, with the sort of uh, a single product, brought the first TVOs or, or what have you and at Philips at the turn of the century and the like. But how do you do it at scale? And I think that is what venture capital and venture investing allows you to do, where you can have a portfolio of companies that you can add value to, right? And you can help grow and help uh, succeed. And so it was kind of the culmination of all of my experiences. Um, The other thing that I really strongly believe in is that, you know, you've got to provide an unfair advantage to these companies. And I think the unfair advantage that large enterprises have is distribution, access, and scale. Right. And of course, brand. And that is is massive. Right. In the day when, you know, trust is is paramount. And that is, again, why corporate venture is where I've decided to sort of focus my career is because you can bring these you know small ideas, partner them up with the benefits of a large corporate and then help amplify them and help impact adoption and distribution of these. Right. So. Venture investing and corporate venture in particular was was natural for me, you know, having been an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, and an operator. Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. And you know, we have quite a number of young professionals who are our listeners who are interested in going into VC. What advice do you have for them? You know, what advice I have is get started, get into it. You know, don't wait for that perfect job or perfect role. I mean, the, the great news for them is that, you know, the industry has grown exponentially in the last five years. There are so many new funds that have come up. And obviously, you know, corporate venture itself is now a massive segment by itself. And that is a great place to start because you get the benefit of a large enterprise and the ability to, you know, be exposed to actual business and you can actually have job mobility where you can go into a business if you so you know want to pivot, or you could continue you know to do investing. So I think it gives you that good benefit of you know you get strategy, you get exposure to business operations, and then absolutely you know everything that 
you would see and do in venture investing, you get to do. So I would say that's a great place to start. Amex Ventures is hiring. So get to our, our website and, and, uh, and look for uh, our job board. We'll include that in our episode. Don't worry about that. We, we should start, I think as Warren Fintech, we should get start getting like referral codes, like slash yeah. Warren Fintech. <laughs> that way we know. Great idea. You know, I think we'll get a good number of folks hired that way. <laughs> um, as I mentioned in the beginning of the episode, we do want to reflect back on your like 10 years of investing. And one interesting question, like one question that I love asking VCs is thinking back at your postmortems, what's one investment that a couple that you missed out on and man, looking at back at it now, that would have been great. And you know, what, what's one thing that you've learned from that experience? You know, there's always going to be misses <laughs> when you look at the number of companies and, and startups. I don't know if I'd call anyone out because there's probably many unfortunately, that we didn't invest in. And the reason where there were many that we didn't invest in was before because you know we didn't see that potential for a strategic fit with American Express and our businesses. And that has continued to hold true for those companies and those businesses where they've gone on to be you know, major big companies by themselves, but we really have no uh, strategic fit even today. So I wouldn't want to call one out Instead, I'd like to focus on the ones that we did do, you know, that did very well and we added value to. And, and that's where I prefer to, to, to focus on. <laughs> well, that was going to be your next question. So what have been some highlights and like interesting investments that have flourished over the past few years? Yeah, certainly. Listen, I think, you know, when I look at the last 10 years, it's been very fulfilling. I think uh, we made very early investments in, in a bunch of companies that have gone on to become, you know, major unicorns, decacons, companies like Stripe, Instacart, Plaid, Toast, Bill.com, uh, Big Commerce, Falcon X, many, many others. When I see a lot of these companies, the great sort of highlight for me is all of these companies are now foundational to fintech and its future. And so it's on the top of these companies that new stacks are being created and new companies are being created, right? And that is very exciting. So that's certainly one, one theme. The second thing is certainly, you know, when I look at the value of, uh, you know, we've been able to create a, a portfolio that's now valued at in excess of a billion dollars. That's very fulfilling, especially, you know, in corporate venture. There are not too many, I think, that you could point to that are at that scale now. Um, and, and that now just sort of puts us in a different a tier of investors and group that I think um, you know are here to stay. One of the companies that I will talk about that is very exciting that wouldn't have been sort of in our typical wheelhouse is we invest in a company called Boom Supersonic earlier this year, and they are creating the a, a supersonic jet. And I think that is that is very exciting because as someone who loves to travel, I want to get there as soon as possible and as low a footprint as possible. And I think that's the one that I'm rooting for in addition to everyone else, but that I'm really looking to, you know, excited to see how that comes to fruition and, and how that takes flight. Are you hinting at the possibility of Platinum members getting special access to these? <laughs> because I do have my Platinum card. <laughs> good, good. And I wouldn't rule that out. <laughs> so we'll see. Stay, stay we hope so. 
Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. And what's one thing that you're doing in your career to help you be forward thinking, right? You know, as a venture capitalist, you constantly have to think about what are some great bets to place, what markets are growing, and in what direction is innovation moving? So what have you done to keep up? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I look back, I mean, at my career, the moment in time that we're in is tremendous. The, the amount of innovation that's taking place is explosive. The amount of activity is explosive. And I think that it's hard to keep up with everything that's going on, frankly speaking, right? I mean, it's just at such a level. Uh, the first thing is certainly listen to the Wharton FinTech fin- podcast. I think that's a good way to keep up with some developments. <laughs> there are certainly many plot. other podcasts. <laughs> and, and, and that's, again, you know, again, I mean, that. You didn't have podcasts you know, 10 years ago. And, and that's been a great thing where now, you know, whatever you're doing, you, you can have access to a lot of information there. But I think I sort of come at it from a customer first perspective. So I'm always looking at it and saying, you know, either from a business perspective or from a consumer perspective, what are the unmet needs, right? Where can you still remove and reduce friction? How can you make someone's life better? How can you sort of really make it, you know, where, where things are just a little bit more smoother, right? There's still a lot of friction in our lives, you know, and, and certainly in businesses, when you think about commerce, they still have a lot of friction in processes and the like. So when I look at all of that, I think there's so much more to be done there. And I do think that, you know, the digitization and um, of sort of all things as we go forward is going to help with that, right? And, and make the, uh, the world a better place. Great. It wouldn't be our podcast without a fun question. So I know that we're running out of time and we can't keep you here all day. So I wanted to ask you, what do you want to see more of in the world? What I'd like to see more of in the world is empathy, trust, and respect for each other. I think that that is really what it, you know, I think the world is about and what we as people who inhabit the earth are and should be about. Well, that's a fantastic answer. And thank you so much for your time, Herschel. It's truly been a pleasure to think about what Amex's future is going to look like and what potential card members are going to get as special offers. So really appreciate your time today. It's been great talking to you, Gabby. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. And um, I look forward to chatting more as we go forward. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you love our show, please write us a review or engage with us on social media. We greatly appreciate your support and it helps us spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our FinTech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton FinTech. Here you'll access interviews, articles, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, a very special thank you to our wonderful editor, Rafael Ostria. Until next time, your host, Gabby.